Welcome back to a brand new episode of Waylon TV News. Waylon finished tracking brand new never before heard song Waters yesterday and is putting final touches on I Don't Love You. The desert demos are right on schedule to be sent to mixing this month. The band filmed a short film with Sean Taylor, the guest of today's Finding Our Way podcast last month in Joshua Tree. Members of the service will have the exclusive opportunity to watch it this Friday. The service is Wayland's all-inclusive membership community, where you have access to over 40 unreleased songs, a full lyrical database, a never-before-seen photo gallery, and two streaming low-voltage performances that you can't get anywhere else. November 14th, Waylon joins Flames of Durga on stage at Lander's Brew for a socially distanced desert rock show. The Flames of Durga episode of the Finding Our Way podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Music, and wherever you stream your podcasts. This has been Alyssa Hoffman with Waylon TV News. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Finding Our Way, the official podcast of the band Wayland. This week's episode, longtime friend of the band and filmmaker Sean Taylor. Please give a Wayland Warrior welcome to your hosts, Philip Belinsky and Mitch Arnold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Finding Our Way podcast. My name is Phil. I'm here with this one guy. With him always is Mitch. <laughs> uh, we are each other's sidekicks in life, partners, making music, making magic, making memories. That's right. Ooh, the All three the- M's, three squared. <laughs> M square and M to the third power. Uh, the the shit we've been through together. Oh my gosh! I love and that's it. why we started this finding our way because we're finally finding yeah. our way. I I feel like uh, we've it. Will we ever? I mean, you're always kind of you're on a path. You know, it's just it sounds no, cliche, but it's a journey. It is. It is. There's it's no, about the journey, not the destination. <laughs> Steven Tyler said that one time. Yeah, he did. Along with every, every other, other 80s person. rock star. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, so it is Monday morning. I don't know if we've ever done one of these on a Monday morning. Uh, Monday morning here in uh, Joshua Tree, California, in the desert studio that we built with our own hands. And I got a couple other people's hands. Absolutely. We got some hands involved. Spent some, some hands. Yeah. Uh, but not not that many hands. No, I would say like... In all, like four or, five, four or five pairs of hands. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Eight so to like ten, ten hands. Ha- yeah, eight to ten hands, <laughs> all in all. Well, uh, let's get to it. Today, we're bringing in um, a really a good friend of ours that has been, oh my gosh, we'll get into how we met and, uh, and how long he's been part of our journey um, and how he's helped us find our way, probably, probably helped us uh, get off of the path of our way a few times as well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Sean Taylor to the show. Thank you very much. Good to have great, you, dude. It's great to be here. What a well, great sounding voice, well, first you. of all. Mellifluous. That's the word <laughs> I like to use. Welcome to the Desert House. Thank you. This is a, a special place. It's you, really cool to be here. You drove out, what was it? Saturday afternoon. Saturday afternoon, and you're yeah. still hanging out on Monday. Will not leave. <laughs> yeah, we've dropped all the hints. 
And uh, it's getting awkward. You actually played me a song last night, Drive On. And uh, drive Away. Drive Away. Drive sorry. Away. Drive Away. This one's yeah. just for you, Sean. Yeah. Get in the car yeah, and the drive, car and drive away. away. Drive Away. And yet here I still sit. <laughs> <laughs> so we met Sean. Um, man, I, this is, we rarely get to talk about this place that we're about to talk about. Or but this we, year. Yeah, that we I, met. Sean reminded me the other day when what year it was? What year was it? Two thousand and three. Now I was thinking about this. It might have been two thousand four. Actually, I'm gonna go with four. That's yeah. what I thought. I'm I thought it was four. later. That, that was my bad. I I was my math was off. No, that's when okay. You reach my age starts to you know. The, that's okay. The, the mind starts to wane a little bit, but uh, yeah, two thousand four. On uh, in in June of two thousand four. But still, how often are we talking about two thousand three or two thousand and four? True that. So Mitch and I used to go up. We lived in, a, in an area called Stanton, California, and it was like um, it was government housing. In uh, it was just I had been on tour in Germany. Mitch called me. He's like, I got an apartment for us, dude. And it was an old hotel that they had converted into apartments. And I th- I think our rent was like three fifty a month. I, it was. It was three hundred and fifty. Which was very hard to get together. Yes, it was every month. Mm-hmm. Um. And you opened the door with this strange, it was a plastic card, but not a card like you'd think, like a swipe. It had holes in it, like Swiss cheese kind of. And you'd stick it in and then turn the knob. It had to be in that configuration to turn, and then you'd open it. I can't believe we kept those cards without breaking them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, it was just, it was a dump. You know, it was super weird. Um, how do we hear about this place, the Gemini Manor? I know we'd make the trip from Orange County up to Hollywood, like the what was it, the first or second Sunday of every month or yeah, something, something like that, yeah. And it, do you remember how we heard about I it? Don't. Oh, you know who took us there is this guy. Um, he was uh, John. It's funny, John Katzmerich. Johnny Katzmerich. That's get, right. Gets mentioned. It, it was John Katzmerich's uh, aunt's ex-boyfriend. That's what it was. His name was David O. That's right. I, I for some reason I, I thought, thought David O was a cousin or. Uh, yeah, he was like an uncle to John yeah, okay. kind of thing. Well, John came out to visit me, my friend from Whalen, Michigan, who will be on this show eventually. He's mentioned in every podcast. It's, it's a tradition. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Um, there's a big build-up to John coming on the show now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? there is. Uh, and he, he introduced us to this guy who was like an actor, kind of. His name was David O. I think he'd had some small gigs. Mm-hmm. David O. brought us to this party, and it was... Okay, I, I, I don't know how to paint this picture for someone listening. But there's a dark driveway in the middle of Hollywood. It's all overgrown with stuff and old buses and vans. And yep. as you get back, there's lights. And then the house was like a museum, right? Yeah, like a hippie tchotchke museum. Yeah, like how how would you describe it? That's pretty much it. The it was everything was hippie. It felt like it was you know in the '60s, and there was just stuff everywhere. Just. I mean, stuff in every corner, covering every wall on every. But it surface. seemingly like organized. You know, it wasn't. I wouldn't describe it as like cluttered. Right. It wasn't right. like a hoarder. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It wasn't, I mean, no. everything had a place and everything, but there was a lot of stuff. There was a was, great amount. It was of like a things like a hippie art installation. Yes. You know? Exactly. Yeah. The rooms yeah. all had themes, and it was like there were paths through the house. I mean, shit on the ceilings, bathtubs glued upside down, toys. Yes. Um, there was a bed that was stacked up almost to the ceiling. That's of right. Mattresses. Yes. Yes. That's right. And there'd be people playing music in one room. There was always a buffet of food outside. And there was all these kind of like 
C and D list actors, if there is such a thing. Yes. People that had maybe had a big gig, almost a big gig, next to a big gig, stood next to the big actor in a movie one time, had kind of come. It seemed like that's who we tend to have met there. I don't know. Yes. Um, and then every once in a while, uh, see, we were like 18. You know, I wasn't even old enough to drink. So for me, I could go there and I could drink. Like, that was a big deal because it was like a house party. Um, and the theme was actually Burning Man, which we didn't find out for a while. But we looked forward to this every month. We only went, I think, that summer. Yeah. But we went every month for like three or four months in a row. Yep. Because it was incredible. And then, so as you get your way through the house, you can go through all the stuff, and there's some stairs. And that takes you to the roof. Sketchy. Yes. Very sketchy. Yes. And that's where the sketchiest people hang. I spent most of my time. And that's where we met you. <laughs> Actually, no. I met you I downstairs. Was, yeah. Oh, really? When I, I was walking through the house, and I'd never been to this place before. A friend of mine brought me, and I only went that one time. And I w- came through the house, and I walked out back. And just as I walk out back, there's this, like, this boisterous hippie guy with his crazy hair. And he just says, hey, how's it going? And he just starts talking to me like the incredibly friendly guy. And I'm thinking, what does this guy want from me, right? <laughs> but he was so friendly. And I thought, what a, what a cool guy. And so we chatted a little bit and then later met up on, on the roof. roof. Yeah. And I believe you had some joints in a, I did. In a cigarette pack. I did. And in fact. Which we were very impressed with. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There was a lot of marijuana accessories at that particular place that I, at that a, at that age, I was like, Wow. Yeah, stuff we had never seen. Yeah, you know? guys with little dugouts and little hideaways for their pot and stuff, and they'd bust it out. Like, everybody was smoking weed. Everyone at the party was, for the most part, and they all had their own little contraption of how they were doing it because it wasn't legalized yet. And It felt that way, though. Yeah. It did. And we yeah, were 18, 19, so we were, like, just discovering all the ways you could smoke yeah. weed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we met you. Um, at the same night, we met a lady that became our manager, and I have an interesting story about that because when I went up on the roof, there was a group of people. And by the way, this is not a roof with a deck on the top. It's a regular slanted roof. And and there, instead of having some kind of barrier to keep you from toppling off the roof, there were like children's toys, toys and like, you know, like play sets and stuff right. like that. Just stacked up to prevent people from falling off the second story roof. Yes. So I made my way to the circle of people and I pulled out one of my joints out of my little wooden case and started passing around, and there's this this uh, this girl with this really charming British accent, and so we started chatting, and I don't know how we got on the subject, but it wasn't long before we realized that we actually went to high school together, and this would have been you know like 15 years before uh-huh. that time, and so because she mentioned her daughter went to Reseda High, and I said, oh well, I went to Reseda. High. She said, well, I went to Reseda High, and we were actually in the same class together, even though we didn't really know each other at that time. Although later she would claim that we did, but that was. That's uh, her nature. <laughs> and do you remember having a girl with an English accent in your class? Uh, no. Oh, interesting. That's weird. We, were, that's weird. we were in the same class as far as the year, but not oh, in any of the oh, same I classes. See. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. But actually, um, from what I understand, she did not have that English accent oh, back in high school. It was developed later in life? Exactly, yeah. She, <laughs> weird. Yeah. Interesting. And somehow stuck, I guess. Yeah, hey, you know, that, that happens to me. I head down south for a little bit, and I just get a southern accent. Yeah. You know? <laughs> You should have heard him when he came back from Australia. It was crazy, oh, yeah. yeah. It was rough on everyone. Rich. So what, we became friends, I guess. Um, maybe she took interest in our band, and she wanted to help the band out and manage the band. Um, her name was Amber, and she did help us out, uh, helped us kind of feel like a band, gave us a place to rehearse, helped organize some things, I guess, uh, brought some producers in, which led to 
her, her just her knowing some people in rock and roll and stuff and her wanting to help out uh led to so many things in our life yeah and we didn't have a clue and had zero support yeah and zero food support would be she a, fed us yeah incredibly helped us make flyers for yes. our shows mm-hmm. so much so she lived in the valley which we had never even i don't think been to the valley um and so we'd start making trips from orange county to the valley to see her which I guess you guys kind of had reunited and become friends. So there'd be like a Super Bowl Sunday party. We'd come over to your house, and we started to get to know you. Right. Um, and from what I remember, uh, you know, we bonded really, really hard. Like, with, I remember we have pictures of the whole band, you know, with at the time Jim Schamberger was playing bass and Carl was on drums, and all of us were at your house all the time. So that was very early. Uh, we were called Apartment yeah. 14, mm-hmm. which we were playing songs like – uh, what are some of your favorite songs from that time? Oh, well, obviously Caffeine, but my all-time favorite, Running for Miracles. Yes. Which, which these guys absolutely would not play after a certain point. They refused to let me hear my favorite That's song. Right. <laughs> so you, did you, you know, I don't know if we told you, we um, just released all those songs. No, I didn't know that. In a private website um, just for, like, I guess people that are interested in kind of the journey. So the Apartment 14 songs, the Whiskey Circus songs. I'm going to check that out, and so should you. <laughs> well, it, people are, are joining. It's, you know, and it's cool to hear them, uh, their response to those songs, because those are the songs that we were writing that led to the songs they already know, like Welcome to My Head and Ghost and all that, Bloody Sunrise. Still you know? to this day, some of my favorite songs are your earlier stuff. I mean, I really love your early music. I love all of it, but uh, but the early stuff... You know, memories and, and just... The, that's it, what I was going to ask. Is that because you were there? It, it, that's part of it, but um, there, it also... The, the sound of the music, was it was a bit different at that time. And so, you know, I appreciate all of the music you guys do, um, but but that particular time... And seeing, seeing you guys play that stuff live uh, so many times back in the early days was such a great experience. And you were one of the only two people that saw us play those <laughs> yeah. lives. That's right. There was a couple of concerts where it was just me and one other person. I mean, our first shows in L.A., there was nobody there at all. Mm-hmm. And you guys had to pay for some of those. If I oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, if you didn't sell the tickets, you had to come up with that money. It's funny, though. It never phased us. No. No, and, and I got to say, it's like, oh, well, they'll all be at the next one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No big and, deal. And, and, and I have to say that the, the way that you guys approached those shows was like you were playing for an arena of 10,000 people. I mean, you put every ounce of your effort into that, and it felt like, it, I felt very special that, like, this is all for me. It was. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's true. So through getting to know you, I guess the next thing uh, that I think we had maybe, you know, our thing with Amber had kind of come and gone. Um, You know, during that time, we were always looking for another manager, some different support in different ways. But you had, had you already been working in film and the creature stuff? Oh, yeah. I'd been doing that since uh, 94. And what exactly were you doing? I was a um, uh, production manager in the field of makeup and animatronic effects. So my job was to uh, break down scripts uh, on on feature films, television shows, uh, for any kind of effects that were going to be in them, put together budgets, negotiate those budgets, and then hire crews of makeup effects artists and and, uh, technicians in order to do that. That is some serious work. It was. It was great. I did that for 20 years, and it was still uh, the favorite job I've ever had. It was really a great experience. But you decided... To, or something happened in your life, or you you left your job or lost your job? Well, what happened is that over time, as prosthetics and animatronics were slowly taken over by digital effects, there was less and less work. And ah. my job was, was um, I didn't actually do any of the hands-on stuff. So it, you wouldn't really have someone like me at a company unless it was a project of you know $100,000 or more. You were doing consistently large projects. And what happened is over time, 
um, there were smaller projects, there were more shops and smaller shops. So generally uh, you'd have an, the owner of the shop or an artist do some of the management work. So there were less and less positions in that field for, for somebody like me. I know you've worked on a bunch of films that everybody knows, which came a little bit later. But during that time, what were there any films that people would have would recognize or? Oh yeah, um, let's see, uh, uh, Bicentennial Man, Dante's Peak, Night Watch, um, later on Night at the Museum Two, uh, Man of Steel. Uh, I worked on the Six Feet Under series for three seasons, uh, Outer Limits, Stargate. Um, you did Spider-Man 3, right? Uh, actually, um, I didn't work on Spider-Man 3. I was working on Spider-Man 4. Oh, that's when, right. That, that's up, way later, though, right? That was much later. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking about kind of during the, that time. What was leading up stuff. to Creeping Charlie? Gotcha, yeah. Um, Cause you, the, so you had left that line of work, because your real passion is to be making films yourself. Absolutely, You yeah. want to be a director, right? That was... That was the idea with Creeping Charlie. That's it, yeah. So before that, the job I had previous to that was uh, working for the Jim Henson Company as their creature shop supervisor in L.A. and New York. So I was, you know, overseeing the Muppets and Sesame Street. And we got to visit you while you were at that shop, and it was literally one of the highlights. We got to hold the Muppets. It was so cool. It was so cool. And, of course, that that, the barn that the Muppets were in that my office was in was the, um, because this was the original... um, office for um uh charlie chaplin right exactly charlie chaplin Mm. united artists uh that was their their uh, building on la brea and this was the building that charlie chaplin used to build his sets and so it was still standing on that lot and that's where my office was and where we stored the the muppets at that time as well i can remember the dinosaurs being in there too right that baby in the high chair so not the mama yeah cool experience and there's a recording studio there that's right yeah major recording studio paul mccartney bon jovi yeah I, yeah, Barry Manilow recorded while I was working there. Really? Yeah, you know, because when we're talking about Bon, jo- or bon Jovi and, and uh, you know, the Beatles, then obviously Barry well, Manilow. Yeah, then right Barry, right you, don't, you don't talk that. about Bon Jovi yeah. and the Beatles without talking about Barry Manilow. Absolutely, Mandy, baby. So you so you, you left the job at Henson, or the, that job ended. Yes. And and you were like, fuck it, it's time for me to make a film. Yeah, I'd worked in, in makeup effects for, for a long time, and it wasn't my passion to do that. I was I was a really, I, I feel like I was a really good producer, good manager, and I enjoyed that part of the job, but my real passion was to work in, in on the film side of things, or you know, more in the mainstream, in production or directing. So at that time, I, I decided to go ahead and write this short film to kind of launch that, that side of my career with the intention of never going back to makeup effects again, uh, which didn't quite so play you, out. So you... You wrote a script, yeah, and what you gathered your resources as far as kind of your friends, right, to yeah. make this film with you. Absolutely, yeah. My my sister's boyfriend was the director of photography, and uh, my roommate did the uh, the sound uh, work at the time, and um, I did all the editing, directing, writing. Um, How long was the duration of the project? It was. Uh, we ended up shooting a total of I think seven days, but that ended up happening over the course of like five months. I was gonna say it felt like it went on forever. It did. It was. Uh, it was a lot of experimentation because even though I had a lot of experience in production managing in effects, I I didn't have a background in in film production, and so it was really kind of feeling around in the dark to figure out the the right way to do it. So we would we would shoot some and then edit it and see how it worked and and you know make some adjustments uh, and and to the script and go back and shoot some more scenes and so yeah it was it was a long process so so for everybody listening we were at the time especially if you're a member of the service um we had just finished a record um and we were just wrapping it up in the studio in hollywood with bruce whitkin and Mm -hmm. andy johns with like front porch uh these days what else is on that blue jean whiskey circus record i know that psycho girlfriends on there there was a first thing of suddenly i think 
the first version Possib- of Suddenly? Po- I think that was on Levetta a little was later. Was that right? Yeah, I don't <clears throat> think that's on there. Um, but I could be wrong. Um, well, you're probably right. Uh, singles and Fives is on yep. there. It's only five or so- songs or so. Um, oh, what's that one that we were just talking about the other day? No, you got my picture. Um, what's that called? <laughs> Um, I want to be thrown yeah. you find me. Whatever that song yeah, that it's, it's in the service yeah. <laughs> Salty <laughs> Tears Salty Tears That's right Yeah which is one of our favorites So we were just uh, Just finishing that up Caffeine was a part of that too Yep Love that song And Me too um, You needed a couple songs And some sounds And some music That's very specific requirements For, for a couple of scenes And so I Yes You know I requested if, the, if these guys had anything That might fit that bill And, uh, and if they'd be willing To record it And, and uh, let me use it at the time, we had a really mad song that Mitch had written, Doreen. That's right. About a girl that yep. uh, was running her mouth at our parties. That she was telling my girlfriend at the time that I had hit on her, which was true. Really? Yeah, that was true. I mean, that was the truth. I didn't think that was true. I mean, well, I mean, like, like you know, I kind of, uh, I was being nice to her and um, and a little bit flirty. But I didn't but like. She made and you were both naked at the time. No, so. goodness <laughs> sakes, no. Uh-uh. No, I was a little bit flirty. I didn't hadn't like. I I wouldn't say necessarily came on to her, but it was a flirty conversation okay. that went both ways. And then she went to my girlfriend and told her about it. Okay, and and again, if you're a member of the service, you can hear Doreen. Yeah. And you will hear the lines, shut your mouth, Doreen. Yes. That's, that's the lyric. Yeah. Shut your expletive mouth, Doreen. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was hilarious because she was kind of in our friends group at the time and, or, you know, in our circle of people that were coming to the Whiskey Go-Go to see us. And then they'd come to the after parties at our apartment. And uh, which at the time was a big group of people because we yes. would literally announce our address and our gate code on stage at the Whiskey Go-Go. And so by the time we would get home from the gig, our place would be packed. And we had a three-story townhouse apartment. It'd be packed with people that we didn't know. Not safe, not I mean, no. just a horrible idea. No, we'd usually send one friend back. Okay. Like, hey, can you be there when right. everyone gets there? Right. Get the drinks out. Yeah. All that, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so we would load. Out, we would load out. Take care of whatever needed to be taken care of at the gig, and then get back home to a full house. Her mom was an attorney, and she was when we put the song out <laughs> and started playing it live. You know, her she was obviously mortified and embarrassed. This poor girl. And her mom wrote us a big legal letter of how it was, you know, uh, what do you call that? A C, uh, defamation a, of character. Defamation of character, yeah. And we had to stop playing it, cease and desist. We did not stop playing it. Eh, we never heard anything. I think uh, we saw her later down, the uh, years down the road, and everything was cool. Yeah, we fine. was. And she now was Doreen a, and I, was such a, we've I mean, been she, engaged now for four years. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been beautiful, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so... So that ended up in, in Creeping Charlie. Now, is the movie out and available for people to see? Actually, it's not. I've never posted it online. I, I submitted to a couple of film festivals, and when people didn't get really excited about it, I thought, well, maybe maybe I need to move on from this. And Are you uh, thinking about putting it out? I actually am. Um, in fact, the lead actor in it, who's you know a pretty successful actor, has requested that I... There's a, especially one section, one, a couple of scenes um, that he really loved and was hoping at some point I'd post it, but... Uh, Life kind of got in the way, and I just haven't really gotten around to doing it. It's, it's We're really been... good at posting on YouTube. I don't know if you've heard. I hear you. I gotta. I have to. We I have to sort that, that out. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's only been 15 years. You know, I'll get it to it eventually. <laughs> so if I if I remember correctly, and I don't remember the exact premise of the the film, but it's well, that's a, disappointing. I mean, it's it's it has to do with war veterans. 
Exactly. Yeah, it's a family of uh, of, of father and son right. war veterans. Yeah, and uh, we, you know, we've had the opportunity of meeting several hundreds hundreds of war veterans, and that's one of the the greatest joys of of doing the job that we have, that we get to entertain the soldiers, and we've had the opportunity of, of being a part of a lot of things in, 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 in that arena. What inspired you to write the script? What inspired you uh, to um, that particular subject matter? What was it that drew you to that material? Well, it was my first uh, attempt at trying to direct a project and I'd never directed actors before and so I really wanted to work with actors that I knew personally people that I felt like I could trust that I knew could could deliver good performances and so I really wrote it around the actors um, my father was was in the Marine Corps but uh, I really didn't have a lot of connection with the military experience however my lead actor Tim Abel was a, an army ranger and so I wanted to write something that was very personal for him and he had a, a unique relationship with his father um, and I wanted to kind of play off of that a little bit in the relationship with this character's father and it, it wasn't you know duplicating anything it was just kind of using little elements for inspiration and so the deeper I got into writing this script the more I appreciated that that world of, of veterans and how uh, even within that community there's there's sometimes conflict between people who actually served you know, an active duty uh, or, you know, served overseas in, in an actual conflict and people that, that you know, never actually were, went overseas or, or, or were involved in a conflict. And so I, I thought that that would be an interesting subject matter and he, where at one point um, uh, the lead character runs into somebody who just, who's a recruiter, basically, and is very arrogant. And, and the, the lead character that Tim plays is much more humble having actually, you know, seen action. And so there was that interesting relationship. And then, of, of course, with his father, who uh, in, in my film is a, a quadriplegic. Um, not and not anything related to, to military action, but the the the, um, the tension between those two who had been um, uh, who had not seen each other for a number of years, and so it was it was uh, each each actor that uh, that I, I cast for this role, I tried to write a role that would really inspire them and challenge them. Wow. Would you when you put it up? Will you please send us the link? So I will. That we can post it. I, I'm serious. I'd love to post it. I'd love to attach it to this podcast. We'd love to share it with uh, the Wayland Warriors because we did do all the music for it, right? It's true, and it's it's really so never like, been there's seen. There's like ambience music and yep. stuff. Plus, there's a couple songs. One That's of them right. that I yeah. even sing, yeah. which is up in the service now, called yeah. the Weatherman. Weatherman. That's yeah. right. Which is uh, it's it's embarrassing to listen to at this point. It's not that. It is bad. for me. It is. Oh I love gosh. it. I, think I it's love great. the Weatherman. Yeah, man. for sure. And 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 uh, I know. I love when Phil sings. I love his voice. I always catch him I, like I'm in the shower and stuff, and I'm like, whip the curtain open. There he is, listening <laughs> to me singing. No, I'm serious. He he uh, he. Um, I don't think Phil gives himself enough credit for oh, what a, a bluesy singer that he is. Well, and, and that's really sweet of you. Thank you. I'm not just saying that. I love it, and I love the songs that he does sing. And I always try to encourage him to sing more songs when we're out jamming and stuff like that. And I think probably a lot of your fans don't realize that he was primarily the lead singer in the early at days. that time. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was that was I was, but it was only because I think Mitch hadn't realized his role, hadn't. I was just kind of showing the way of like how to be in a band. Because we I'd never gonna, been in one before, right. so it mm -hmm. was kind of just waiting for him to step up into that, you know, and like encouraging him and us singing together was kind of a way of okay, no. You sing, you know, started singing more and more until yeah. it just made sense. Well, I'd sing the ballad in the in the set. You know, I'd step forward and sing that one, and then 
and then it just evolved from there. But yeah, yeah. it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. Really cool. Love singing together. And I remember that moment when you made the decision to to put Mitch really? out front. Oh, I remember it because I was surprised. It, mm. it, it's you know you have an idea of what a band is, sure. And it was a very selfless thing to do to say, hey, you know what, we're a better band if Mitch is out front. You know, and I thought that it it, it was a little. I was a little disconcerting at first. I thought, wow, that seems like a strange decision. But in the end, it obviously was the right the right decision. You're damn right it is. That's right. <laughs> we've always, I won't you know, forget it. We've had to make a bunch of adjustments, I guess you'd call it. Like, things happen, and you say, okay, it's for the best of the band. You know, like, why, why would I ever be up there and be the lead singer of this band when Mitch is in the band, like it doesn't make sense, you know. Well, like, plus you're really a shy guy, so it makes perfect sense yeah, that you want to be. Yeah, I want to be in the back, right? exactly. You know, definitely. Um, let, let me ask you this: so, so we did the, the creeping Charlie thing, and by this time we had different band members. You know, Dean was in the band for sure, um, and I don't think Tyler was there though. Haas played drums on that stuff. I'm, I'm sure of that. And Tyler came shortly after. Um, I don't think there were any other drummers. Uh, that you really got involved with. You you did meet like Pure Rick was in there for a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um we had a, we were trying out people from Orange County and all around. I can't even remember their names. Drew twenty two. Drew twenty two. Was it one guy that um I think Phil Collins was in the band for a short time. Yeah. Yeah. And he yeah. W- he deemed himself not talented enough. And I'd have to agree. Yeah. And we said, You're right, Phil. <laughs> we did this drummer so, so we we rehearsed downtown LA at that spot, which is funny because you called us one day. We we rehearsed drummers, like we probably did thirty or forty drummer auditions down there and it was just I mean it was horrific. It was the people that came in. It really was lied about their ability, their age, their everything. It was just terrible. And then we'd always go back and then Haas would play on the record. Till finally we met Tyler in Michigan who flew out to be in the band and, and the band was finally complete for the first time in so long, you know. And you called us one day, and you're like, you guys should come over to my shop. It's not far from where you guys rehearse. It was literally next door. Yeah, it, was, right. it was like less than two blocks away. Yeah. And we got to see we got to see the Spider-Man costumes from the movie. And what else, Was there Superman stuff in there? Not not yet. Okay, no. just Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. So impressive. So cool. And I, I, are we able to talk about what ha- the, the awesome story of that shop? I don't see the, why not. It's uh, I mean, hey, it's great. It's in so, the news. So. so Okay, cool. So, Sean... Sean invites us to the shop, and he invites, and, hey, meet my boss, uh, Shoney and Nevada, these two brothers or cousins. Well, they said they were brothers, but they were actually uh, uh, nephew and uh, uncle. Yeah. Okay. Oh. And, and you took us camping with them one time, which was an aw- yeah, awesome a, trip. Yeah, to on the lake. Yeah. yeah, so they were like your friends, and you worked for them, and then it all fell apart real quickly, right? Yeah, it's uh, just a little backstory is um, uh, back in the uh, late 90s, I guess it would have been, um, uh, these two guys show up at a shop I was working with, uh, Steve Johnson's XFX, which is a pretty big shop, and uh, they were driving around in a little white pickup doing pa- uh, painting houses. And so they showed up and they said, hey, we want to be a part of this. And so my boss hired them on, and they just did kind of, you know, handyman stuff around the shop, paint, you know, fix things, that kind of thing. And at one point, I was in need of an assistant. So uh, I asked uh, Steve if I could take Shoney under my wing, and, and I did, and, and ended up showing him a lot of the business side of things, how to manage a project. And ultimately, I ended up leaving the company uh, and, and going to a different company, and Shoney stayed behind and ended up working his way up through the ranks and ultimately um, developed a relationship during Spider-Man uh, 2, uh, which Steve Johnson's shop worked on, developed a relationship with a costume supervisor and costume designer. So when Spider-Man 3 came along, he actually convinced them to to pay for him to set up his own shop, and so Frontline Design was born, 
and they did all the effects for for, uh, for the Spider-Man 3 movie, which is the stuff that you guys are talking about with the Venom character and the black Spider-Man and all that stuff. So uh, not long after that, I was looking for work, and I got a call from Shoney, and he said, hey, would you be willing to come over and production manage here because Spider-Man 3 was a little chaotic. We'd like to have a little bit more organization and structure for our, our upcoming projects. They were getting ready to do um, uh, Night at the Museum 2 at that time. So I came on board, and it was, a, it was a unique dynamic because this was a guy that used to be my assistant and is now my boss. And he, he handled it really well. He treated me very respectfully, and it was, you know, it was a good experience. It was a little odd. And the way that they did things at the, at the shop were not always... I was, I was always very, you know, play by the book, by the rules, and it was like, and you, you know, handled the books. You handled all the finances, exactly. right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I would do, I, at that shop, I actually, I hadn't done that before, but I, in, addition, in addition to production managing, I was also the bookkeeper at that shop. Um, and so, and actually on, on that project, they had a bookkeeper in-house from, um, from Sony Films uh, as well. So uh, we had a good relationship for a number of years. I ended up coming back a couple, you know, after they pulled the plug on Spider-Man uh, 4, which uh, was... It was gonna. It was gonna happen. We were building the costumes for um, uh, for for Tobey Maguire. Um, it was gonna be, uh, as I recall, it was uh, the the Vulture, and it was gonna be um, John Malkovich as the Vulture. And Sam Raimi was writing this script, and ultimately he couldn't deliver it in time. And and the, the studio finally said, "Forget it. There's we can't. There's not enough time for us to finish." editing the film in order for to get to next summer's release. So they just pulled the plug on the whole thing. And they had already dropped, it was close to a million dollars on the work that we wow. were doing. Just in, in the shop I was at. Uh, and so that's when they, they uh, went back and rebooted it with the uh, Mark Webb uh, version uh, with, I forget the name of the actor, but um, uh, the amazing Spider-Man. Mm. Uh, so that was just a kind of- Andrew a, Garfield. Thank you, yes. You're welcome. Yes. Um, so yeah, so over time, uh, thing ultimately, Shoney was able to land the um, Man of Steel project, and we did all, all the specialty costuming for that. Which I, I love that movie, by the way. Yeah, it was a good film. I cry when every time I watch that. Sorry, I got to turn my alarm off here. It's okay. Um, so yeah, so at the at the as that that project came to a close, Shoney opted to take his his uh, profits and, and purchase a home in Sherman Oaks, uh, which I didn't necessarily think it was a great idea because there's you know in the film business there's always a lot of gaps in between projects and you mm -hmm. never know when you're going to have a, a long dry period and you, you know he, he had his shop expenses to upkeep because he owned that building so you know i was a little disappointed that um that that he was he was kind of i, I wanted to make sure that he maintained his shop for the long term well we didn't talk for a number of years and then in 2017 uh in may of 2017 i believe it was I got a, um, a message from a friend saying, with a link, and I went to the link, and it was the Dual Valley Bandit captured. And basically, this guy had gone and knocked over 10 banks over the course of a month in San Gabriel, San Gabriel and San Fernando Valleys, and then on the 11th one, he ended up getting caught. And he would actually go in with a loaded shotgun, and in one case, I believe, held the shotgun to a woman's head. And as I look at this, and they're showing footage of it, there's Shoney. He was the Dual Valley Bandit. Was he, he masked? No. He wasn't masked. He wasn't wearing prosthetics, which you think, hey, you know, why not do that? Oh, yeah. my God. He could have been in, the, been in the Venom costume. Yeah, exactly. That would have been at least cooler. put on a mask, right? No, yeah, he was just, you know, you see all the pictures of him of the, you know, the, the, the uh, surveillance footage, and it's just Shoney, you know. And and especially because he... He must he, have been in a very desperate, he was. He'd frantic lost, place. He'd lost his house. He'd lost his shop. And he was working for another shop at that time. And I, from what I understand, it, you know, he had he had two young children, 
And from what I understand, it was the pressure was really getting to him. And I believe that in the end, in all of those heists, he ended up walking away with just over twenty thousand dollars. And I think back that it doesn't even that doesn't even seem worth it, right? No, absolutely not. And I, I you know, I remember the times where we were we would you know we'd be running checks over for for the uh, Man of Steel movie of like fifty sixty thousand dollar checks every week, and and like you know the amount of money he had and the amount of success he had. He he fell very hard and very long. It was it was it was a tough thing to see to, for somebody like that because he's you know very gracious, really nice guy. But um, he didn't ask your help on the heist at all. No, but That's I understand. The worst part. Did that I, offend you? Uh, no, I was I was <laughs> I was happy not to be involved. I'm telling in you, if Phil robbed a bank without me, I would be pissed. <laughs> no, I would have been happy like, to production. You didn't even tell man. me about it. But he, I, from what I understand, he did ask some coworkers that he was working with at the time if they wow. wanted to be involved. Yeah, from what I heard through the grapevine. Wow, that's do you really think that he blowing. thought that you just couldn't run fast enough, or what? I yeah, I don't think he. Th- I think he thought I couldn't hack it. Really, yeah. you know. Is is uh, what what happened? Did he, he obviously went to jail. You guys are still friends, is right? He's still. <laughs> is I he like still in so. prison? Yeah, he uh, got sentenced to I believe a, it was just over ten years, and then restitution for the twenty thousand dollars as well. Mm. I, he does subscribe to the podcast. So. Well, well, hey, Shoney, how you yeah. doing, buddy? Yeah, make sure to give a Good shout out. You. That's your shout out, Shoney. He asked for that specifically. <laughs> yeah <laughs> what's your favorite uh, i want to ask you over the years because i'm gonna i'm gonna share my favorite sean taylor moment but i okay. would like to ask you what your favorite whalen moment has been in all wow. the years different incarnations different trips because see you now after that moment after after that we did the creeping charlie thing and you know, we we were focused we ended up getting with ironworks making records and we saw you less and less because then we we went on tour We'd only see you when we'd come back into town to record with Jude Cole. We'd usually stay around the valley. And I remember um, every once in a while, like, um, I think Dean and, like, our crew guys would maybe stay at your house. Because Mitch right. and I would stay at the studio because we were working the most, mm-hmm. like, as far as the writing and stuff. And I know some antics happened there. That's true. There was there was the one party that happened to be just up the street from my house. That was my moment. That was yeah. one of my favorite moments we've had together. That was an interesting one. That one, um, we all went to this party. Uh, and, and again, it's, you know, just happened to be like a block from my house in, in Chatsworth, which nothing happens yeah. in Chatsworth. So uh, we all loaded up. I think I think Mitch got on top of the vehicle to ride over to the we party. We were in my yep. van. Yes. I, my, uh, my Pontiac Why did I Montana. Do that? Why in the heck did I Drugs do that? Drugs and alcohol. Yes. Yeah. Right. You and Dean were on the roof. We had pre-partied at your house. And we That's were just... Right, yeah. Out of control. We were out of control. And, and that wasn't the only night at that time. Oh, no. That, was no, that you, we were out of no. control. You yeah. ridden down a few car roofs yes. through the valley. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was a fun party. We had a great time. And, and uh, I, uh, I believe that I ended up leaving at around 2 or something like that. And I think the, that Mitch wanted to stay behind. I think a couple of you guys stayed behind. But, you know, with the understanding you were coming back to my house afterwards. So uh, I guess in the middle of the night, I had, I had a, a roommate at the time. Uh, who had a Not p- to be confused with a sidekick or best friend or no, part of a duo. No, just a roommate. Actually, no. We're going to call him a renter. Okay, <laughs> right. perfect. A tenant. Perfect. A tenant. Well, yes, exactly. Well, I own the house. That makes him a tenant, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so he had a bedroom that happened to be adjacent to the door of the bathroom. So it was kind of like a at a ninety degree angle. Here's the door to the bathroom. Here's the door to his room. And apparently, as I heard later, in the middle of the night, he wakes up to the sound of running water. And it sounds like it's coming not from the bathroom, which is, you know, a, a wall away from him, but from the hallway where the door is. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Strange. Very strange. So he opens the door, and there's Mitch standing there peeing in the corner between the door to the bathroom mm. and the door to the bedroom. Yes. And, and he says, Mike was his name, he says, 
Mitch, what the hell are you doing? And he says, man, leave me alone. I'm taking a piss. Yeah. Leave me alone. I'm going to the bathroom. Yeah, I'm leaving, leave me alone. I'm going to the bathroom. <laughs> and and so, ladies and gentlemen, that is why Mitch does not drink alcohol anymore. That's right. That's, that's right. one of the reasons. One of the exactly. reasons. Exactly. I think that same trip, uh, Dean had like come in on a rampage and broke a bunch of your antiques or something. Well, he, he knocked over an, an <laughs> antique Chinese screen that I had and busted the busted it out. It was it was my fault for the way it was sitting in the hallway, but I was still pretty irritated about the whole thing. And you are still our friend after all this. Yeah, it's true. Oh my it's gosh. True. I had one other favorite moment that was less personal <laughs> but more about about the band experiences that um, uh, you know went to a Mark and Brian Halloween party one year. That's oh, right. That you guys I didn't know you up. were there for that. For KLOS of in Los you Angeles. Didn't. You were busy. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And so uh, these guys ended up winning the, the best band competition. We won the Battle of the Battle Bands. Of the Battle of the right. Bands. Key Club. And so I actually dropped like 90 bucks to buy tickets to see these guys open at Nokia Theater oh. for Heart and Foreigner. Foreigner. Right. Slash. Yeah. Was Slash there? Yeah. Yeah, Slash. He had a oh, band. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah. That was so cool. Yeah, it was, was because cool. to be, I mean, what, it was a big be, win. It was a big win for the band. Major, oh, yeah. I mean, major. it was, and it was like, what is that? Like a fifteen thousand seat arena, yeah, and yeah. to see you guys on stage, and I still have photos from it of the giant screens with Phil's giant head and Mitch's even more giant than normal head, right? Yeah. Of course, and uh, it was, <laughs> yeah, a, it we was played a cool lay it on. Yeah, Late on me had just come out, and that's yeah. that song won us that Battle of the Bands in that competition. That was great. Um, which is also available in the service. Check it out for how and much? Nine ninety nine. Nine ninety nine a month. Come on, yeah, man. That's like on. that's like two cups of coffee. <laughs> and the video, the video is going to be up there. The video is going to be up there this yeah. week. Wait, that's included in the nine ninety nine? Yeah, yeah. That's you, unbelievable. You've seen the video, right? I haven't, but when I oh, when I look, oh my gosh, dude, we, we'll we've got to show it to you. Yeah, it's a great video. So that's what actually won that competition was the video. Um, so that's awesome. I didn't know you were there. I, I, I guess was. I was busy. So, I guess so that's awesome. I didn't know you had ever left the valley. It was always really hard to get you out of the valley. Occasionally, I was no, usually I mean, in full prosthetics. Always, that's probably you why. You always I came right to see us at the whiskey. I did. And yeah. even yeah. when we, I remember whenever we came back through a few years ago, uh, we Phil and I played the whiskey, and um, you were like. One of the only people in the audience. <laughs> <laughs> which was great because I ended up filming it on my phone and then using that footage later, which I'm sure we'll get to yeah. at some point. Well, yeah, I want to bring that up. So we went out and toured, um, and you've always been so supportive of, of you know, whatever thing we're doing at the time and how we're doing it. And you've always kept all of our music, which if it, there's been times where, like, we didn't have some of our recorded music, but you did, uh, which is so cool. And for a nominal fee, I was willing to share that's it with right, you. That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, but... Which is why you were the perfect person to help when we wanted to kind of tell our story. We wanted to kind of share because a lot of people didn't know that we started out playing on the streets of L.A. and then and, and started out in the Young Americans, uh, you know, which led to us being songwriters on on the streets, and then which built a band with Dean and and how we did it all and how it happened. Um, and I think it kind of came up in a conversation, and you offered to tell that story through a little documentary. I think originally that you guys had talked about maybe doing sort of a reality show kind of a, a concept. And so we talked about that, and, and as, we, as we discussed it, and it, it seemed like, I think, uh, Alyssa as well was like, we don't want to do anything that feels forced or cheesy or, you know. And so I thought, I'm a big fan of documentary films. And knowing you guys' story and knowing how personable and likable you are, I thought, why, why don't we do something that's more of, uh, of, of uh, an exploration of your experiences? And so I convinced you guys to come down to my house and do some 
long-form interviews where we sat down. I interviewed each of you guys on camera. And from that, um, you know, came up with this 10-minute uh, uh, short uh, documentary, just kind of giving a little bit of background on, on your experiences as, as friends and as a band. And 80 hours later. And 80 hours later, yeah. it was Editing and yeah. old photos from our childhood and, right. and, and our, uh, well, I call it our childhood, but us coming up together and developing the band and putting it together. Um, we got this amazing, what would it end up being, nine minutes? Nine minutes and 59 seconds. Okay. Wow. Kept yeah. it under the 10-minute mark. That was the goal, was to keep it under 10 minutes, and uh, I think we accomplished that. What's your takeaway from the experience, I and mean, what do you? I absolutely loved it. It was it was a real it was a real passion project for me because as a big fan of documentary films, and obviously as a fan of you guys both personally and professionally, um, I really wanted to do something that that uh, that I could be proud of, that that you guys would be proud of, and that would share something about you. That like when we did these interviews, by the way, I didn't know a lot of the stuff that I learned from these interviews, like you know like some of the things in the early days and, and your experiences in long beach and i was i really enjoyed learning about that and i thought well if i like this i'm sure that other fans of the music would love to hear this stuff as well and so you know I, it was it's one of my favorite projects that i've ever done actually that wow. is so cool yeah i'm really we will proud make of sure wow. to put a link uh to that in case anyone hasn't seen it um it is up on youtube on our youtube channel uh, we'll make sure to put a link in the in the podcast uh you know information as i well. highly recommend it it's really good it's great. It's awesome. It is great. Yeah. I love watching and it. And it was kind of a springboard for us and inspired us also to uh, get our Whalen TV going and to basically kind of show the journey, you know, as we go now, which is which is awesome. Um, well, I was, I was going to ask you, so now you have a job. I do. At uh, Universal. Universal Music Group. Yeah. Doing, doing IT stuff and making really cool videos with your yeah. perfect little voice for it. That's right. Um, which is hilarious when we see him. Uh, but I want to ask you, I guess, what, because I know you're going back to school. Yeah. This is what brings you to the desert. It's true. I actually decided, you know, as much as I love my job, and it's a creative job, um, which is interesting, you know, working in the music business in IT, surrounded by much more technical people than I'm used to being around. Working in the film business is a very bohemian kind of environment. And now it's a very, you know, kind of straight-laced thing. Even though it's the music business, they're still IT people. But I get to do these really fun videos and animations and stuff like that. But, you know, I really miss the film business and I really miss the action. And, and I, I always wanted to, to be a filmmaker. And uh, I, I'm, I'm, such a, I'm so incredibly lucky because Universal Music Group is very supportive of its employees and that they offered me to take classes if I wanted to. And I decided, well, if I can take classes, would it be okay if I went back to school and pursued a degree in film production? And they agreed to pay for it. Wow. And so it was like an incredible gift on their behalf. And it certainly is. Did they you get know, you a, like a lunch pail to take to school and stuff? A Scooby-Doo lunch pail. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's good. But um, uh, yeah, so it's, I'm very lucky to have that opportunity. And it's giving me the chance to, to kind of pursue the dream that I've always wanted to have while, while being able to t support myself in the process and not having to be a starving student, which is really nice. What right. a miracle. And so you're you're going to school for film. Yeah, yeah. And Cal State Northridge, which when I was, you know, of age to be, you know, when I went to college all those years ago uh, at CSUN, there really was no film program. But since then, they built this, you know, performance arts center, and they've really they've invested a lot of money and effort to create a film pro, uh, uh, film um, school there that that 
that competes with some of the best in, in the world. And so it's ranked very highly among film schools. And, and it's just a great experience to, to be back doing that. So what's your goal with that? What's your what's your dream? What's your plan? What... Uh, you know, I just want to, I, 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 I intend on staying at Universal Music Group. It's they, they really take care of their employees. And there's no, I, I really don't, I don't want to get back to the instability of working in the film business. Sure, right. sure. You, yeah, what a stress for what thirty years. Yeah, <laughs> wondering when the next gig is going to come. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was in that film for or in that in that um, industry for about twenty years. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I'm not anxious to get back to that where you just never know where your next paycheck is coming from. So, another thing that Universal Music is great about is they give a lot of vacation time to their employees. So we get basically after four years, you get four weeks of vacation uh, every year. So. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to doing my own film projects, financing my own film projects moving forward and shooting a film every year. Wow. That's you know? so cool. Yeah, that's perfect. So you're able to have a great job that you like with a great company as well as have that creative outlet. Exactly. And soon you're going to have knowledge and how to do it, right? Right, yeah. So you came out here this weekend. I did. And uh, you called us like a couple weeks ago and you wanted to shoot a, a one-minute film that was going to take 20-something hours to shoot <laughs> was the plan, right? Something like that. Tell me about right. that. What? Why does a, a one-minute film take that long? Well, it was originally I figured it would probably take about 12 or 16 hours, something like that, okay. um, at the most. You know, I, I always, as somebody with a lot of production experience, you always want to, uh, you know, underestimate... Uh, what it's, uh, I'm sorry, overestimate what it's going to take. Music is the same way. It always takes longer. Mitch and I are like, Absolutely. hey, we'll just go on down. Today we'll just go uh, record that guitar part in there and be done. Seven hours later and three harmony parts. Yeah, time gets away, We man. never even yeah. got to the guitar part. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and when you're dealing with something technical like like filming, there's so many things that can go wrong that, that you know, can really put put a lot of problems that, that extend the amount of time that it takes. So mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure we had enough time. And... You know, when I did Creeping Charlie, the intention was to do a 15 to 20 minute film, and my first edit was 46 minutes long. So I'm not somebody who's really good at brevity when it comes to creative projects. Yeah. Brevity, great word. Yeah, oh, thank you. You're welcome. And so, um, uh, so in this instance, I, I wrote about a minute and a half long film because it's uh, the, the, the professor said it's okay to be over a minute. It's tell the story you want to tell. Are you kind of a teacher's pet, or? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, apples every day. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm. I definitely am a straight A student. I, I you know, I, I don't play around. But it's you take like, it very seriously. I take it very you know, seriously. It's like it's not something that you felt like you had to do because, you know, you're at you're at that point in your life where everything that you're diving into is passion. Right, because it may be the last chance I have to do or whatever, it. You know? Whatever, and so so being a straight A student isn't necessarily about getting the work done for the teacher. It's about doing good work for yourself absolutely i mean i'm here to learn everything i can and having a background in film really gives me a leg up but there's still so so much stuff that i that i don't know and so i'm I'm really enjoying that process and of course when you when you work in the real world for a while it it kind of builds a work ethic generally that you know when you go back to school it's like wow this seemed hard before but now it's like this is kind of easy and not easy but it's it's obvious that you're there to put the effort in and not to try and take shortcuts or, right. you know, any of that. It's I'm there to do the best that I can do on everything that I that I do in any class that I take. That's cool and inspirational to hear. Well, like we were saying at dinner last night, I mean, um, it's been cool to have such a long friendship with you. Um, and then just this year, it's funny how long we've known you, and it's the first time we've actually just worked together on something. I guess Creeping Charlie does count. That's true. But, I mean, 
That was a we long were kind of separate. Yeah, you know, you yeah. were kind of like, "Hey guys, go record this." I was in the studio and kind of directed a little bit that one day, but that Did was you? Okay. yeah for for when you were doing all the riffs and stuff that because we so used, you went with the, the motion. Score, the I play guitar stuff. with the motion of the music of the video or right. movie, right? Okay, exactly. I remember yeah. that. Yeah, um, but yeah, that that was it. Um, and so now we've done the documentary. Now, uh, you know, we got to be involved with your film, which was great because you know, in planning this, when it's a one-minute film, I think that the general attitude. Oh man! Sorry. General attitude of most students is like, okay, this is my first film in film school. I'm gonna just do what I have to do, and and my attitude was like, hey, I want this to be the best it can. So I could have shot something in the valley very easily, and did something that could be shot in three or four hours probably, but I decided to challenge myself, and so I really wanted to work with with Mitch and Phil as well. But but as as actors, I thought that that would be a neat experience, uh, and and I knew that they could handle it, and also Alyssa, of course. Uh, so I wrote something with them in mind, and they were gracious enough to accept uh, and and put themselves through the ringer for a day. Because yesterday was a was a crazy day. We it was shot. a long day. It was a long it day was awesome. for sure. It was a lot of fun though. Long day in the desert. Yeah, we were up at uh, 5:30 and out shooting by six, and uh, finished what about seven ish or something like that last yeah. night. Yeah. 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 We so. were tired. Yeah, it, but it was. I did the least, and I was exhausted. It was a great experience, though. I mean, everybody was so professional, and, and it went so smoothly, and uh, I couldn't have asked for anything more. It was really great. Well, I can't wait to see the result. don't think I'm going to share that with you, though. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Well, we're excited to figure out what, uh, what we're going to do together next. Because Absolutely. Um, now that we've got this working relationship that complements our friendship, I think the sky's the limit. Well, I'm thinking about spinning off into adult film next. So, Well, Mitch Ooh, has been uh, yeah. I'm thinking about that. Yeah, and uh, looking think... to mingle, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> I think it's time. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry about that microphone, man. It's I always get the trouble. crappy microphone, don't I? I did that on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> you only want to hear about half of what I have to say. Right? <laughs> well, man, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. And, it was a pleasure. Uh, further than that, uh, thank you for the years of friendship and support. Um, seriously, you're quite welcome. You, you've it's been, been such great. a big part of our story. Um, you're just someone that, whose name comes up all the time. Our parents know of you. You know, good stories, all, all the greats. Like everybody in our life has heard of you. You know what I mean? Just because you've been there for so long since the beginning of this band. That's super cool. I love it. And by the way, this short film, I will hand this over so you guys can check it out for on well, your. Well, at least uh, we'll put it on the service. Yep. So That's sign awesome. up. In the service. Sign yeah. up now. You will yes. not regret it. Yeah. <laughs> This has been another episode of Finding Our Way, the official podcast of the band Wayland. Visit waylandtheband.com for everything Wayland.